The Triathlon Hour is brought to you by Pillar Performance. I've been locked into my pillar routine for about two to three months now where I just use the same things every day. And that's triple magnesium and ultra immune C 45 minutes before bed and then ultra be active when I wake up first thing in the morning with my small breakfast before I train. I, I never miss it. And I think if you're going to try pillar performance or, or you already use their triple magnesium, but not their other products, then I'd love you to try this combo. I personally just honestly feel better using it. I have done all year, if I'm really honest. And like I'm someone who usually suffers from a bit of burnout and getting run down or just like fatigued and lacking energy. Um, but I think I'm having my best year that I can remember in, in quite a while since I was maybe in my, my early 20s or late teens. And, and I'm not sure like what percentage of, percentage of that to attribute to using Pillar, but it has to be playing some, some small role in it because I have been doing it consistently and I have been feeling great. I haven't been having that same thing where I'll have like a week really good and then you know a couple of days where I'm off or three weeks really good and then three to four days when I just need to remove myself from society and sleep on like sleep in and 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 you know have a few crappy days it just hasn't happened to me yet this year and I haven't been sick so I don't know I'm I'm not sure how big a role it plays in it but sleep's important and uh, I just I just believe it has to be playing some small role so if you want to try it for yourself um, I couldn't recommend it enough Use the discount code HTD20 for 20% off your order. If you do want to try it, um, let me know how it goes because yeah, I really am interested in hearing other people's opinions on this and if they've had the same experience or not. Patrick Lang came second at Roth, six minutes behind Magnus Ditlev, and in the process, Patrick ran a, ran a 2.30.27 marathon, the fastest marathon in full-distance triathlon history, breaking his own record. Patrick has won the Ironman World Championships twice and was the first man to go sub-eight hours there. He's also won Roth before. However, Patrick's second place at Roth this year very well may have been the best performance of his career. Patrick, what do you think about that? I think that that's actually true, yeah. I think that was my best performance ever uh, on a long course uh, race. And yeah, <laughs> it's uh, kind of difficult to see that <laughs> someone is uh, five and a half minutes faster uh, than in the first place. But after, you know, taking some time to reflect on everything that happened, um, I'm, I'm really happy with the performance and um, think that's true. It was, yeah, was my best performance all in all. Patrick, can you maybe take us through the race? Can you can you sort of give us your your race recap of, of what happened from the the swim right through to uh, finishing the race? Yeah, I, of course, I'd love to um, because the race in Roth. Uh, if you haven't been there, uh, you need to go because uh, it's it's hard to imagine the hype around the race and um, the energy around the race. And just simply how great it is. Um, I myself always just heard about it and uh, thought, ah, yeah, uh, how cool can it be? Um, um, but when I when I first raced there, um, it just blew my mind. It's just it's simply amazing. So you, I got there early race morning. I uh, checked in. Yeah, with like this this 
surrounding the channel with the fog um, over the water and still like at what what a five thirty in the morning there are like thousands of spectators on this bridge and along the channel so simply amazing and um, so I did my warm up swim I swam across the uh, the channel to wave to the spectators and it they completely like had an explosion of of cheers and roars and it was just amazing and it, it it fired me up for a great day um to be to be honest so it's just okay if if a warm-up swim has an energy like that the race will be just freaking awesome and um that 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 what actually happened so after the swim i knew i um uh wanted to swim with ben canute um i expected him to to get out uh in front so i positioned myself next to ben um and first 400 meter was like a flat all out um start and i could keep up on his hip um and actually i was surprised that i can uh that i was able to follow in that intensity um because it was um I was expecting my mind was thinking it would it must be harder uh, to keep up, um, but actually, yeah, it had a good good swimming arms, and uh, yeah, then I positioned myself behind him, and uh, Daniel Beckegaard and Ben Fenu they they pushed, and uh, we were able to separate a little bit from the group, and um, had a nice swim, had a good swim, fast swim, not the fastest swim in the world, I'd say, um, because it was also a little bit zigzag around. Uh, there was. Um, <laughs> I think there, uh, at one point there was a, a, a motorboard uh, from the lifeguards in the way, so it separated our, our group and it, we found together again. Um, but yeah, all in all, great swim, great crowd, um, and um, I was yeah right there where I wanted to be, um, actually. And onto the bike, I positioned myself uh, clever, so I had a a good transition and I, I took the lessons that I learned from from Israel and uh, took it a little bit more easy in the transition so that Daniel um, overtook me because I wanted to um, see where what, what Daniel is doing and uh, tried to follow on his wheel and um, after what was it like 10k I was surprised that Magnus Ditlev all of a sudden rode past us because I expected him to be like a minute or minute or 30 down which wasn't the case so obviously great swim by magnus as well um and uh then yeah i tried to hang on as long as possible um i was hanging on a little bit longer than last year uh but still like this this pace from from the big dane is just simply mind-blowing and uh so no way uh, for me to keep up with him for 180k or 165k that were left. And uh, then I had to make the decision and uh, let him go. Um, had a good company with Ben Canute by then. And uh, on the first lap, we were actually joined also by uh, Peter Hemerick. Um, so I thought, okay, this this group is also uh, has has a good bike power and can keep the gap low um but yeah 
pretty soon we noticed that um, yeah they were just on a on a flyer and like in the first 50 60k that the two two and a half three minutes into us which was uh, surprising for me to be honest because I was pushing like really high watts so 260 265 uh, in average normalized a little bit higher uh, which is for me and uh, at 63 kilos is is quite okay uh, and my my goal or, or like at the at the top end range of my my Ironman pace um, right now so it was surprising and they they were going all in um, and yeah so did we up for up Solara um, back for the first time it was just crazy like I mean I think everyone saw the pictures by now and I don't have to explain this uh, in detail anymore but like three minutes of pure ecstasy if you want like it was just so crazy uh, and also a notch up um, compared to last year and also Ben after the race he told me like this it was actually the best decision to ride with me because as a German you maybe get a little bit more cheers and uh, he was like he, he also never experienced something like that so it was crazy 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 cool so gave a lot of energy uh, for the second loop where we also obviously lost a big chunk of time uh, a second time up Solara Berg um, uh, in the first round we, we, we lost Peter Himmerich he did Ironman uh, Hamburg three weeks before so he uh, he decided to pull out after the first lap which was kind of sad for me and also I think we lost um, with him we lost a little bit bike power so um, maybe we could have been one minute faster or two in the end but um, yeah and second loop Solar Hill again crazy uh, we were a little bit uh, held up by some edge groupers but, but yeah it doesn't matter it was still like a little bit more time to um, enjoy the, the cheers and then yeah we finished finished the ride uh, about 12 minutes behind Magnus and Sam which was honestly a lot more than I uh, expected because also I I was obviously on my limit in the in the in the average watts and I also saw on on my Garmin that I rode like on my Garmin was four nine. Uh, I think in the results list is four ten, and I thought, oh, wow, that's that's a lot faster than last year. And um, how did they even like put twelve minutes into us? How is that possible? Um, but it was somehow, and I knew, okay, uh, Magnus, he is definitely one who who uh, has the the intelligence and the 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 race smartness to not overdo it is tactically um, so well trained they don't make any mistakes so I I knew uh, even if I have the run of my lifetime uh, I won't be able to catch him uh, because uh, 12 minutes is just too fast but um, I started out giving it all because um, how can you not be motivated uh, going into that race and so, yeah, I, I took off uh, in a 3.15, I guess. <laughs> uh, but the first kilometer is uh, a slight downhill. 
And then the run that followed was the, yeah, one of my best runs um, I ever had. I was really consistent in my pacing. I had my nutrition nailed on point. Had a little bit of a moment after six kilometers where I had to stop at the at the Dixie and um, yeah, just um, uh, lost, I think, 15 seconds of the walk. I actually think I'm the world record holder and the fastest Dixie stop um, <laughs> right now because I was able to run a kilometer with a Dixie stop in 3.46. I didn't stop the watch, so the kilometer was 3.46. I'm kind of proud of that. That's insane. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, and uh, what followed like was just as a, a consistent a run on on the top what I'm capable of um, lost a little bit of time in the uphill um, because more or less all the, 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 the meters in climbing you do up to Büchenbach, um which is this two kilometer um, really nasty little hill that's also where I noticed that the, the 230 is kind of slipping away from me and um like I kept fighting um, until 41 kilometers and coming into Ross again there was this massive crowd and I was entering the stadium and you probably have seen uh, the, the video footage of it like it's nothing like you ever will experience as, as a pro and then I said okay like fuck it the, the time doesn't matter I want to celebrate with the fans and and also want to give something back and um, I just enjoyed this last whatever it is like 200 meters or so and um, soaked it all in and um, finished yeah probably one of the best races in my career and maybe or pretty sure the best races uh, race of my career in in a not so bad time I think and 7.30 and um, yeah but then when I turned around I looked at the screen and I saw 2.30.27 and I was like oh, <laughs> ah shit 27 seconds um, uh, I could have done maybe uh, Büchenbach a little bit faster uh, and so whatever I just think uh, it was a great great day and thanks again to Ross for putting up a show like that. I did my first brick session of the year during the week. Um, the session was a three-hour ride that had eight times eight minutes uh, upper aerobic in the TT position, focusing on holding about 330 watts and, and holding a really good time trial position. And I just had two to three minutes break in between. And then the run off the bike was five times one kilometer at 10 seconds just above race pace and then one kilometer at 10 seconds just below race pace. And the reason I'm telling you this is because I practiced my full race nutrition and nailed it. And nailing nutrition on sessions like this has always been something I've completely stuffed up and had ended up having like these big patches during the run, feeling so low in energy, so lethargic, so heavy. And to be honest, just bloody crap. And the reason why is because I've spent the last few months really dialing in my race nutrition, like making sure I've got it right. And I tried so many products, which I've already talked about, but 
I, I put so much of my success down to finding precision fuel and hydration gels and drinks because I've been using them for, for most of this year and I just can't recommend them enough. I haven't got sick in any sessions. I don't have nausea or stomach upsets anymore. I, I haven't like gotten sick of it and been like, oh, I can't have another one of these. Like, And that's happened to me with literally every, every product. Even even like, you know, there's a big, big nutrition product that everyone seems to be using. But even that I got... I just got so sick of and it started to make me feel sick. Um, my, my main product that I use from Precision Fuel and Hydration is the PF90 gels. And I use, I try and use one of them per hour on the ride. So I used, I used about three and a half of them for that three hour ride. So I used, yeah, just a little over one per, per hour. Um, and then in the first sort of like kilometer of the run, I, I just like took down a, um, a, a PF30 caffeine gel i just i find that on those bricks if you have that little bit of caffeine at the start of the run it really does make everything easier from there and yeah seriously i didn't have any like low patches i didn't have any like of those patches where i feel really like lethargic and 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 have no energy i felt great from start to finish and and i ended the session just being like wow i could keep going like i feel i feel amazing and uh, it's like I know I understand that it's just because I nailed my nutrition, but it's still a shock to me because I've never been able to do that. Um, even when I was racing much faster than what I what I could ever do now, um, I was never nailing my nutrition like I am now. So seriously, if you're like me, if you struggle with your race nutrition, or if you just think you could optimize it a little bit more and and don't think you have it nailed. I could not recommend enough that you try Precision Fuel and Hydration. If you do want to, I have a 15% off discount code you can use. Um, it's HTT23 and you just use that at checkout when you shop with them online. Seriously, can't recommend it enough. And if you do want to hand with it, just feel to, feel free to send me a message on Instagram if you want to talk about uh, Precision Fuel and Hydration and what products might be right for you or how to use them. I'm always only one message away. Hypotheticals are always a little bit stupid. But do you wish now, looking back on it, you know, 10 days later, that you had have found that extra 28 seconds and, and could say that you were the first person to, to break 2.30 for the marathon? Yes, for sure. Definitely. Like, that was the first thought that uh, was going through my mind. Like, I, I definitely, um, because there was a little bit of a miscommunication between my coach and myself, to be honest. Like, he was uh, supporting me um on on the run and he was on uh, so in rod you can actually be at every aid station and hand some gel or whatever to to the athletes so he was on the aid stations every second kilometer um and he told me that uh the record is still possible and i in my little racing monkey mind uh, thought that um he uh, means the 235 whatever it is for the run course record and I, I i switched off a little bit because i thought okay for 235 now i i really don't have the energy to push um, because i wanted to run for top 230 but he meant the top, uh, 230 so um yeah hypothetically yeah i would be able to push more and um hypothetically without the, the climb in vision bus yeah it would be possible but hey you know there's so much positive to take away from that like it was my second time running at 230 something time and i think i i have proven that 
a time like that is possible. Even after Israel, there were still some critics. I put up the the data on um, on Strava to like not have any talkings going on. That the course was um, on point, and um, so yeah, I think I've proven that even like sub two thirty in an Ironman or in a long course race is possible, and that's the the biggest takeaway from me. And you know, in the next race, I try to to. Yeah, I have another go and try it again. So why not? And I'm going to come back and talk about the shoes because obviously that's one of the main things people want to hear about. But I've got two questions about the bike before I jump into the shoes and, and the run. There were reports um, on the course that you got into a little incident with a car, maybe that, that one was in <laughs> front of you and you got stuck behind it. Is that true? Did that happen? To be honest, mate, I heard that quite a lot, but I can't remember I, I simply cannot remember. So, it, uh, no, I, uh, you know, it is at, in some part of the bike course, um, they have to open one lane because obviously people that are living on a village, like they need to go out and back uh, or out of the village with the car somehow. And also you need to have the the rescue lanes and et cetera. So, um it is possible that there was a car, but um, it was definitely uh, not worth mentioning it like like that. So I personally, I cannot remember any incident with, with the car. Um, I heard that and, I, and some people asked me that and I was, I, since then, I'm really thinking of a situation where, because also people said like I was like, with, with the hands in the air and, and, and shouting and, and stuff like that. But uh, I can't remember. <laughs> I can't remember. So it, it was not that big of an issue uh, that, uh, that people made out of it. Yeah. That was the reports I got watching because I was watching the race live and obviously covering it. And I got sent multiple times by people who were claiming to be on the roadside that, or, or watching the race live that, that you were you were stuck behind a car and you were you know arms up in the air going going like uh, getting quite animated and and upset about it, but you don't even remember it. So that's uh, that that would be a strange thing to forget, I would think. Yeah, that's that's why I'm pointing it out uh, in a way like that. I honestly cannot remember it. I can remember there was um, that's normal when you go. Um, there's one really tight section on the course, and that actually when you enter. Uh, when when you leave the water and you go over the bridge, you turn sharp left and there is this, yeah, kind of narrow, um, little bit twisty, turny um, start section of the bike. But there were actually, there were no cars allowed. And naturally on the second loop, when you enter this section, you know, okay, there will be age groupers all over the place and uh, you have to take it a little bit easy. And um, I can remember that um, Ben always tried to stay on the right side, also in, in parts um, uh, like that. Um, because in the briefing, they told us you ha- you, you're not allowed to cross um, the center line, which is correct. And we, we respected that all the time, um, except for when referees tell you like different so and what happened at the end of the first lap 
entering the second laps, the referee came up to me and said, I allow you to cross the center line to overtake the age groupers. And I'm wondering if Ben didn't got that message. So um, after this tight section, when I overtook Ben, I said to him, you are allowed to cross over to get past age groupers because sometimes he he was braking uh, like on a street where you can look 500 meters ahead he was braking because the, the the age groupers were like driving three in a row <laughs> and he was just afraid um that he gets disqualified when he even even when he cross, uh, crosses the center line there so it was um a little bit yeah sometimes a little bit uh yeah to hard to get the info okay you're allowed to to cross and maybe i was maybe i was talking to ben i don't know i i didn't see the, the situation on on tv but i only can imagine that it was was something like that another one with a little bit of drama on the bike is that there's sort of been rumors by certain pros um that another professional was using a garmin raider tail light um i, I guess it's one of those oh. things where it beeps and lets you know if like vehicles are coming up behind you. And so I guess the theory is that maybe there was a professional out on the course using it so that if a technical official motorbike came up from behind, that it would beep and you could sort of drop back and get out of the draft zone. Do you know anything about that? It's the first thing I heard, uh, but I think that's, that's really easy to check. So if someone thinks he might have seen a professional using it. Um, just go through all the pictures uh, because the, the the Garmin Varia is 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 quite a big light, so you should be easy um, to to spot it. And secondly, if I if I think about it, I don't think it would make sense because sometimes it also like catches up with bike the uh, uh, riders that follow behind you so i wouldn't see the the benefit in it so the message would be like he is he or she is intentionally drafting and then dropping i'm i think that goes a long way doesn't it what do you think for me it doesn't make any sense yeah i don't have an opinion on it i i i've heard the rumor i've heard the rumor multiple times and it it intrigues me i'll say that because it could be genius or it could be, you know, like so someone could look at it and go, oh, that's genius. Someone could look at it and go, well, well, that's outright cheating. And I think I'm like you. I, I don't know whether it would be effective or not. I would, I would like to try it to see. Like I would like to see if it works or not because if it does work, then it is something we probably have to watch out for because yeah, I, I could see that happening, you know, not only in professional racing but definitely in age group racing. Um, yeah, I, I was just, it's just one of those things that I heard and I was like, yeah, that, that intrigues me a little bit. And I, I wonder, I wonder if Patrick knows anything about that and whether it, whether it's happened in the past, whether it is happening, but it sounds like you, you haven't really seen it and, and don't know, don't know much about it. Haven't heard any, any like murmurings about it behind the scenes. To be honest, um, I never saw someone in a pro transition with a light on his bike, to be honest. It would really surprise me. Does it work if you have it not like? Because I know when you ride with your mates, everyone just has it um, on their seat post. Yeah. But does it work if you have it anywhere else on your bike? Because I don't personally have one, so I'm I'm a little 
I, I like I've rode with people who have them, but I don't know the specifics of how they work. Can you have it somewhere hidden and it and it still does the same thing or no? No, if you if you if you hide, then it would be no. I mean the the radar must be uh, can't be hidden because then obviously the radar is not working. So it sort of has to put point behind you. Yeah, I think so. But I never thought about it. To be honest, you um, think that's very tame. Yeah. Well, it's it it is interesting that the rumors out there because. From what I've heard, there is a certain pro or two who are convinced it's happening, which is, um, yeah, I mean, it's interesting. It's interesting. And it's one of those things that you hear and it, it's like a, it's quite a, if, if it's true, it's like, it's a bit wild. And if it's not true, then it's, it's a little bit of a fun conspiracy theory. I would, I would say the top 10, uh, they don't use something like that. And, you, you know, I, I put a lot of faith in the race ranger in the future. Um, I know that um, um, Trailer Rods uh, will um, pretty surely uh, introduce it for next year, and I I have high hopes in a technique like that to um, also to have like I don't know how 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 far the technique um, from Race Ranger is right now, but it would be great. Uh, I think it was an idea that um, Hayden Wiles came up. Uh, with that do you actually have like a tablet or something and the, the referee can um, see where drafting is happening so like whatever you have five groups and the referee is in the first group and watching and then uh, he gets like notified by uh, his tablet hey uh, watch out in group three there's drafting happening you go to group three and check on them um because obviously, Race Ranger uh, is also only effective if if um, a referee is close by and watches uh, if the, the the light is red or not. You know, um, so um, I put a lot of faith in 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 Race Ranger uh, for the future. I think the like end game for it should be more F one style, where say let let's talk about the PTO because they're really the company who seem like if anyone's going to invest money in technology like that to, to, you know, make the coverage funner, it's probably going to be them. It would be really cool if it got to the point where it was sort of like a part of the TV coverage where you could see like, say you were <laughs> watching a group and, and you could see like the everyone's name and whether they have the, like a little green light, orange light or red light next to their name. I think that could be really cool as well as like their speed as well. I think that would be cool if we could add both of those Absolutely. things. Yeah, that's... That's where I have like yeah. Combine it, that. combine it with a GPS tracker exactly. and yeah. um, a tracker that that put out um, heart rate and and wattage. Like, and you can live follow the data of Magnus and myself, and um, would it would make coverage uh, so much more interesting, I think. And technically, it shouldn't be that big of a deal, I think. It would probably just take someone coming in with a fair bit of cash to go, hey, we're going to invest in this, yeah. wouldn't it? Because it's probably just a money thing more probably. than anything. But yeah, it, that's true. That's yeah, true. It would only make racing much funner to watch. Yeah, yeah. Um, going back to Roth, Patrick, in the lead up, we spoke four days out from the race and you you talked to me about Magnus being your kryptonite and um, 
It was sort of like he <laughs> maybe, maybe he is your kryptonite or maybe you just sort of like spoke it into reality a little bit. Do, do you see a way you can beat him? Because, God, you had, I believe, you you believe your best performance of all time. You ran 2.30 and you still got done by six minutes. And, yeah, what do you, do you think there's a way that you can beat him? 524, uh, yeah, 24, 524, not six. Sorry, 524. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, six minutes, round it up. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think on a on a course like Roth, I will naturally have a disadvantage on the bike. Let's, let's be honest. Um, he is like 20 centimeters bigger than me and, um, uh, well, no, 20 kilos heavier so on a rolling course like that i i cannot like um uh, to turn around physics so i i will a- always have a disadvantage um in races like kona for example where the bike course is also rolling but the heat plays much more um into it the humidity is a much more bigger factor um he is so big so he is much more exposed to to heat and all that uh i think i'll have better chances to beat him um and like especially on a on a race course like these uh with 2500 meters of climbing i think there is a realistic chance of um of getting much closer not necessarily saying I will ride faster than him. I don't think that's possible. But yeah, mate, just put me into contention five, six, seven, eight minutes close to him. And then, yeah, we will have a great battle on our hands, I think. I've already talked about my brick session that I did during the week, my first one for the year. And there was one other thing that made it really fun. It's that I really dialed in and replicated everything I would do on race day. And I mean everything from how I ate beforehand to slept the night before to got re- like getting ready in the morning. And a big part of it was wearing my brand new Win Republic tri-suit that I ordered about two months ago and has just been hanging up in my wardrobe in my wardrobe waiting for me to race and just waiting to get used and I was going to use I was going to save it for race day but I couldn't wait any longer like I just keep looking at every day and I I love it I think it looks amazing and I've loved my my old tri suits from Win Republic that I've used in the past so I just wanted to feel like I was racing for my session because I haven't raced much lately and and missed it so um, like I'm honestly not just saying it but I've borderline hated every other tri suit I've ever worn in fact, I'd go as far to say as I have hated every other tri suit I've ever worn. And the main reasons were that all around how they made me feel in them, they were like either too tight in places or just didn't fit right. And to be honest, some of them made me feel pretty self-conscious in them. And I think that's the thing I love most about the Win Republic suits I've worn in the past and why I was so excited to try my new one. It's just they're so bloody comfy. They fit so well and they use materials that I don't really understand the technicalities of it as well as I should, but they just feel great on and they don't give me any feeling of them being too tight around like my arms or around my belly. And I don't know if, if I'm completely alone in this because I haven't really heard anyone talk about it, but I think feeling good in a triathlon race, race suit is one of the most underrated things that, that you can like seek to, to find in triathlon. So if you're like me with that, then seriously, grab yourself a Win Republic tri-suit. They, they also feel really fast on the bike and have lots of handy storage for nutrition. And again, 
the comfort really does present itself on the run. And I just honestly can't recommend them enough because of that. Um, while you're on their website, make sure you check out their cycling and running kit as well. They make so many great jerseys and bibs for the bike and, um, and have a whole variety of great running, running gear as well. I'd say the main thing Win Republic is known for is having the best looking suits and, and, you know, training gear in the triathlon world. And I do agree with that, but the things I talked about above, um, are what I really love about them as a brand and why I was buying them way before they ever supported this podcast. So yeah, if you want to try it for yourself, um, then jump onto Win Republic's website and make sure you use the discount code TTH15 for 15% off your order. And I do want to come back to this and, and ask you a little bit about your thoughts on Nice and, and the rest of the year and and have a bit of a chat about Magnus's performance and where it stands in you know the history of, of great performances in triathlon. But before we get into that, let's talk about the shoes because they were they probably ended up being the main talking point of the men's race um, in in a lot of ways and in both ways both in people uh, speaking really positive about it and then people speaking really negatively about it like you've been called both a cheat and and like had um, I guess a lot of positive feedback on on your run so it's it, it was quite weird to yeah. watch where some people were sort of seeing your 230 and going like doesn't count and then others were going like oh nah. greatest run in in the history of the sport can you talk to me about a the shoes but then b the the rhetoric around the shoes haters haters gonna hate honestly like there will always be some idiot talking negative shit uh, about everything like even uh magnus uh his bike ride is not good enough for some people whatever like they they will always talk, so <laughs> I don't give a shit about that. To be to be honest, it it was allowed by the rules, and there were also other athletes using um, uh, prototype shoes. Um, so uh, there is uh, there is no cheating at all whatsoever involved into using uh, this this model. And obviously, mate, I'm sponsored by Adidas. What do you think? Like um, we they have great products they use the platform of Briathlon to promote their products so why not make a little bit noise about it like what what's wrong about it and I think um, now everyone knows the shoes and um, obviously they they are great shoes um, they help in uh, my efficiency it's a really individual um, topic uh, for for every runner um and i i can say um from from the data we have the shoe is good but it's also not like another level uh in in terms of performance compared to uh, the the normal iwaf um or, uh, legal shoe the pro 3 it's like we're literally talking like 0. Take seven percent of um more efficiency so yeah it's great that people talk about it because then it gets more attention um but yeah um here we are always really honest and that's my opinion on it so um yeah in 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 the next race we try to run 230 with a with a normal to let's say it this way and then everybody is okay with it i think 
I'm a hundred percent with you. By the way, I, I think I think any hate around this this um, topic with you was completely ridiculous. I like I could not disagree with it more because it just doesn't make sense that that we pick like on that particular thing given what happens in the swim and the bike during races. So if you look at some people's bike equipment and their bike setup, take yours for example. You work with with Swiss side. Um, you have amazing aerodynamics and equipment opt- optimization. There's lots of pros out there who don't have what you have. Same with Magnus, same with Sam Laidlow, same with, same with Tom Bishop, same with Jan Fredino, lots of professionals. And why is it that your runner that probably saves significantly less time than say what Magnus has done and invested on, on his bike and his bike equipment and, and technology versus say the 60th ranked pro racing Roth on the weekend? Hmm. Yeah, that's true. I see it. Um, also the time spent on the bike, like in, in percentage wise, it's like so much bigger. I, I just think we either have to regulate everything or nothing. It just it just seems weird how like yeah. okay now the shoes we have to we have to follow IAAF rules but why don't we follow UCI bike rules then like why do we pick and choose with that if that's, we're gonna that's such a big topic like could we more talk publicly about it that we as a sport need need one rulebook for every race like hundred percent I never I never um heard like a discussion like that like make a rulebook for Ironman Challenge, PTO, um, and every race that where we as professionals race, make one rule book. Like, you cannot turn up in a Formula One race one time with the eight-cylinder and next time with a four-cylinder motor. That's just, like, make one rule book, stick to it if you want to race professionally, and then we would have so much less problems with it. And honestly, if the if the shoes make up for a discussion on a, on a, on a level like this, and totally, I'm in. You know, um, maybe it helps to get one rule book, and um, every big company follows uh, on on that. It's a no I think brainer. every professional would agree because, like, it's ridiculous that Joe Skipper, um, um, you know, he had this fancy bottle setup. He was not allowed to ride it, and I, on the other hand, was allowed to run my shoes. Like. From an outside perspective, if 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 I zoom out, doesn't make sense. Like, where's where's the point? Just you know, one rule book <laughs> couldn't make sense. More. Yeah, I had Belinda Granger on after Roth to to re- like debrief everything and recap everything, and we spoke about this at length. And it has to happen. There has to be a set of universal rules because, like, I am one of like the world's most diehard triathlon fans. And even I'm completely confused about the rules at different races, like completely confused. And and like I spend my time actively trying to figure it out and, and learn it and I'm still confused. So how are the athletes not mm-hmm. going to not be confused? And even how are the volunteer technical officials not going to be confused? Of course, everyone's confused. Yep. The, the thing is like I, I, I struggle to see Iron Man coming to the party straight away. I think they sort of do okay. their own thing a little bit and they'll, they'll maybe pick up on it if there's pressure. But... I really, really think there's potential for Challenge and the PTO to come together. And I said this with Belinda. They have a great working relationship. The The people who are running Challenge and the people who are running um, the PTO have worked together in the past. They work together on Roth, for example. They need to come together. If Challenge and the PTO could go, okay, well, we'll let Ironman catch up if they want to. 
but we're going to make sure that if you race a PTO race or a challenge race, we have a universal rule book. And I think if they did that, that Ironman would follow suit for their professionals as well, maybe in you know six to 12 yeah. months' time, maybe for next year's World Championships or, or something like next year's European World um, Championships. But it just seems a no-brainer for me that Challenge and the PTO, they could do this you know, for 2024. It could happen that quickly if they really wanted to, especially if the athletes push for it. Absolutely. I agree. And um, I even had a talk, I, I think I, I put out a post about it with uh, uh, Andrew Messick. And I was surprised that he, he was actually calling me um, after I wrote uh, an email to Ironman. And um, I think Ironman is slowly getting onto the table. You know, before everyone was talking and um, complaining and but there was no no talking partner on the table if that makes sense because Ironman simply they seem to not care but I think it changed take it's it's it slowly starts to change a little bit so um with Andrew calling me I had the feeling okay something might change and hopefully change. So I hope um, if, if we as athletes keep pushing forwards and try to make a difference and um, tell them our needs, I, I hope that they will um, implement some, some ideas. I know it's a private conversation, but can you take us inside that, that phone call with Andrew Messick at all? I don't want to get into much uh, detail, to be honest, because I um, I think um, I'm I'm lucky that that uh, he called me and um, he. What I can say for sure that is that he was listening, and he was he he is I can say for sure, and I didn't believe this um, uh, before that call. He deeply cares for the sport. I think he really is caring for the sport, and. Um, he wants to change uh, something. And um, he told me before that they want to um, pull out uh, a lot of motorcycles after the incident in Hamburg and um, they want to implement um, rule changes. So no managers uh, on on motorcycles anymore and stuff like that. And um, they implemented it in Frankfurt straight away. So that's, I think it's a, it's, um, uh, it was a good sign, and um, I hope the conversation continues. Um, simply as that. One one last thing on this: I've 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 had a couple of conversations with Andrew Messick over the past couple of weeks as well myself, and uh, he's actually going to come back on the podcast. So I'm going to ask him all about oh, this really? live, Patrick. Yeah, nice. Which is crazy. I, did, I didn't. I, I didn't. Oh well, I'm surprised. I'm, That's cool. Hey, That's really cool. <laughs> no one's more surprised than me. Uh, didn't go that well the first time, did it? But let's see. Let's see how it goes the second time. Um, maybe, yeah. Maybe I'll bring lunch to this podcast. No, I think it will be great. <laughs> yeah, um, me too. Honestly, I, I think uh, there is a big chance in it. Yeah, great. I'd love to hear that. Well, it's coming. I think we're going to have a chat later this week and it might even be out next week type of thing. Um, Patrick, just just one more thing about Roth and, and then I'll let you go. Or maybe it's like two more things about Roth um, and, and how it relates to, to the rest of the year in triathlon. Where do you see the, the favouritism for Nice now that we've sort of done with the first half of the year? 
all of the non-championship yeah. racing's done. Now we've just got the big PTO races, the Ironman World Championships, the 70.3 World Championships. Do you think Max Newman is the favourite to win, win Nice? Do you think yourself, you're the favourite to win Nice? Do you think Magnus Ditlib is the, the favourite to win Nice? Do you think it's someone else? Um, first of all, I I don't believe really that Gustav Eden is not taking part of uh, uh, Nice. I can't see him not racing. Love this. So I I think if he is racing, he... He's kind of the big favorite, also because he won the seventy point three worlds there. Um, I don't see how, like, obviously his his um, Olympic distance racing is not going super well. Um, so, um, I I would be really surprised if he is not racing. So that's that's the first thing. Then um, I heard Sam Laidlow who claims to want to win the race the race at least uh i think he's injured i think he has problems with his calves so it would be interesting to see how that um goes um because it's not that long of time uh, until the race and um i honestly don't know how max is uh riding in the hills so um uh, it's it's hard to tell. Um, so I think you know him better than than I know him, but he's one of the big favorites for sure because he he also I listened to the podcast that you did uh, with him, and he uh, he actually reminds me. <laughs> no, I I noticed that I'm old. He reminds me a little bit of myself when I was racing um, on. Um, uh, and winning the the world championship titles because we also focus on getting the the like the simple work done and um, not like getting the, too distracted by all um, like this data and this um, a sensor and this and that and like they they seem to have a real uh, a really good approach um, in. In training and life in general so um i think he is he is one of the can you say wellest balanced athletes um in the pro uh field at the moment so he definitely is um he's on the radar but don't forget about the the frenchies so um i raced in france a couple of times and I always had the feeling that the French athletes like really grow in, in, in French races. So if you sign up for a random race in France, uh, somewhere in the mountain um, mountains, you can be sure that some guy you probably never heard of shows up and uh, will pick your ass <laughs> like crazy. They They are just uh interesting athletes and always seem to um grow in french races so yeah um if he's racing i would put uh, gustav Eden in front uh and then uh, my second guest would be max newman um i will be uh i see myself contending for the podium um i think that's that's realistic uh, we will we will go and see the course uh, in needs in, in two weeks' time, have a um, specific training plot. Yeah, so you 
you think that Gustav Eden, because he's on record as saying he isn't ra- he isn't racing, and I hold on to hope that he is racing. So to hear that you're sort of thinking that as well, that gives me a little bit of hope because uh, I I think that race is better off with him. The other thing is you mentioned that that you know he he's your favourite to win it if he races. That you think Max Newman's next. No mention of Magnus given the weekend. Is it because of the course or is it something yeah. else that you've seen? Magnus is really good in flying under the radar. And so, um, of course, he's also in the mix. Um, but I tried to focus on really the, the, the few athletes I think they 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 uh, can win. And I don't necessarily see him winning that race, to be, to be honest. Um, simply because I think he... It's hard to predict, like, honestly, like we are, I don't have a crystal ball, but I don't see him running, um, uh, 232, 233-ish. And then I don't see him make that big of a gap that he could do, uh, on a rolling course. So that's simply why I see him having a really great race because he will always be 100% prepared. He will always nail his nutrition you don't see him make mistakes he's so smart about racing um that he will have a great race um i see him definitely uh inside of uh top eight to top five on a really good day but i don't see him necessarily winning that race because i don't see him make this big of a gap on the bike and um Maybe also the swim in Ross was with wetsuit, and I expect a non-wetsuit swim in Nice, uh, and we will see um, how that how that uh, goes. So it's in the small details. What do you think about Magnus? Do you think he can win it? I don't think he can win it. I hate saying that because, it, like you said, it's really hard to write him <laughs> off because you know he's going to do everything right. I just don't think that field and that course uh, like lend themselves to him winning it. I like. I think it was very easy to predict that Magnus was going to re- win Roth on the weekend. No offense to you. Like I thought, oh, yeah. I thought it was very obvious that he would win and that you would come second. And the only yeah. thing that would stop that happening was if Sam Laid though had a really good day and came second and you came third. It's just I thought I thought that was that race just suits him perfectly. Even if he didn't come out of the water in that front group, he could have came out two minutes behind. He still would have won that race, I think. Whereas yeah, I agree. this course and this field at Nice, particularly the field more than the course, like having having a rolling bike course and, and that climb definitely, you know, pushes me more towards thinking he probably can't win it. But just the field as well, how the race will play out, I, th- I think... I struggle to see him putting enough time into Max Newman to to outrun Max. I think Max can run, you know, three or four minutes faster than him on on that that course in Nice. And I agree. I don't know. I, I Magnus would have to do something pretty special, I think, to to put that much time to into him on the bike. I, I don't really see Max as the person who's going to go to the front and and ride off the front of the race. Really? But I see him as sitting on Magnus's wheel all day and, and sitting on Sam Laidlow's wheel all day if, if he has to. I, yeah. I actually have a gut feeling Sam Laidlow might do, like might animate the bike more than more than Magnus does. I don't know if we're going to see Magnus animate the bike too much because I, like you, see it being a non-wetsuit swim and see him having to ride up and burn a lot of matches to get to that front group who are going to be riding very hard at the start 
and then maybe it being a little bit harder for him for him to go and attack on the bike. And I think I think we might see a world where Magnus comes into T two not by himself, but but with others and and maybe with someone like Max or even someone like yourself or Gustav who can run a little bit faster than him. That that that's what my gut tells me. But you know, yeah, with, don't forget with, about the. Um, um, I think it's. 10, 10 to 15 kilometers that flat uh, in the be- beginning and the end. And um, 15 kilometers is enough for Magnus Didlev to close any gap in the world to be in front. So um, I expect him to... We, we uh, the, the other athletes <laughs> in, uh, in some way, we like focus on the climb we focus on the, the the plateau. We focus on the descending. I think these uh, his team. I think they will also focus on the thirty kilometers that are flat and on the plateau. So I think that's where he can make a difference, and that's where it's going to be interesting. Because honestly, like he can, he, even if you have a three minute gap, fifteen kilometers with the ability of Magnus Didlev is enough to close any gap in the world. So it's might it might be uh, it will be interesting to see how um how you will play that card as well. I, I struggle to see a world where Magnus isn't in T2 in either a lead very small select lead group or by himself. I just it's yeah, it's just the run. I, and I don't, I'm not like you. I don't see a world where he comes eighth. I think I think the lowest he'll finish is fifth. I think I think he's a fifth to sixth, absolute lowest, worst day he could have kind of guy. Um, I actually think there'll be bigger bigger gaps off that bike than than what a lot of people are expecting, and maybe some of the really great runners won't actually be able to work their way up to the front, and it will be some more well-rounded athletes who get there. And, and I think it it actually suits you well as someone who should be talked as as, as like a. I mean, it's crazy. You're a two-time world champion, but as a, as an underdog, because you are swimming better this year, and I think being in a good position in the swim is going to be everything at, at Nice. Um, if you're if you're yeah. someone who wants to win the race on on the run, so yeah, like for yourself and Gustav, um, yeah, I think I think the swim is going to be everything. And with Magnus, I don't think it matters that much. But if it is non wetsuit, it's just it's so hard to see him in a in a really strong field not finishing. You know two minutes, 90 seconds to two minutes down in the water and and then having to mm-hmm. really work hard to catch that front group and that sort of making his race a little bit tricky because he will have to push 450 watts to catch up. Um, but I'm fascinated to see it. I think he's going to be like the person who – him and Sam Laid, though, I think are going to be the two people who really animate the race more than anyone. Yeah, it's, it will be interesting in, in how uh, Sam uh, recovers from his injury. So – from what I heard, like you need to talk to him, but um, I think it's it's not a an injury w- which is done and uh, was a weekend of recovery. Yeah, but I don't know. No, I'm hearing that too. I think the thing with Sam is even if he doesn't run a single day between now and, and Nice, he's still going to line up at that race and he's going to put himself at the front of the swim and he's going to put himself at the front of the bike. It's just we're, we're like he just does that every race now. He doesn't not do that, does he? Mm. Like he is going to. Even if he walks the run, he's going to absolutely destroy the race for everyone else on the on the swim and the bike. It's like it's just part of ha- what having Sam Lay though in a, in a race is now, and it's fun to watch. Yeah, it's interesting. It will be interesting to see if that's possible. Like, if you can destroy, because I think in uh, one key um, takeaway from or or, or go to tactics in Nice will be stay within yourself. 
because obviously if you make uh if you if you if you cook yourself on that bike course you won't recover for the run so i think um we will see separations and and also athletes doing their own things so um that the group dynamics doesn't play into into the game as much as in Kona or in Ross. And and now my one last question, and and we'll we'll wrap up the podcast, Patrick. Um, and I sort of hate that I have to ask it, but I do have to ask it because we saw what happened with Colin Chartier at the start of the year, and we've seen a year of nothing short of some of the best performances in triathlon history. Mm. Do you, as a professional? Do you have any concerns at the moment that that maybe there is a a bit more doping in triathlon than is being talked about, or do you think that Colin Chartier was a real outlier and that it doesn't exist really outside of him, and and maybe it is completely clean? Oh, yeah, that such a such a tough question. Um, I mean, I can only influence like what I do myself, and I I just know that I never took anything and um, make sure that I am um, racing clean and uh, that that's one thing so don't want to waste too much energy thinking about uh, doping um, but on, at the, uh, on the other end like I'm, I'm not so naive to think that it doesn't exist um, I I still think it exists definitely. Um, I don't have any athletes where would like point at and say, "Are he's really suspicious or he's really suspicious and suspicious." Um, I think um, from what we saw, uh, what Magnus did, um, they are doing a great job. They just optimize everything they can. I think we saw over the last couple of years. Um, we saw a big step up in nutrition. So when I remember, when I think back of uh, racing 2017 uh, in Kona, I did the maximum intake of carbohydrates by then was like 50, 60 grams uh, of carbs. And now we are talking about 120 grams. Um, so I think we can, there, there is explanation for um, performances like let's say we do um, good explanations like um, I have the lowest CDA uh, we ever measured so there are always like little um, things to find and follow and optimize so I don't have any suspicious uh, feelings about uh, Magnus or any other uh, let's say um, uh, top top 20 PTO ranked athletes in the world ranking right now. So um, I hope um, Colin Chartier was the one black sheep that also showed that the system is working, um, the anti-doping system, I can say for sure. And I um, more than before uh, post my, um, my drug test because I think in, in the German system, we are kind of uh, really one step ahead and um, I get tested like a minimum of 12 times outside of competition. Um, I got tested three times um, in, in six days in the Roth um, period. 
Um, so, and actually I also talked about Joe Skipper with it and he, he wants to be tested more and doesn't get tested that often. Um, which is a shame, I guess. Uh, and we need to also like put the same effort in, in catching, um, cheaters around the world, like in the same way, it should be normal to be tested 12, 15 times, uh, on the top level, uh, a year, I think. And, um, that's, that's my thought on that. Patrick, thanks so much for coming on and chatting, mate. It was, uh, it was awesome to hear your thoughts pre-race, you know, four days before the race and, and now get them, you know, 10 days after the race and, and hear from both ends of it. Um, yeah, brilliant race. I can't wait to, to watch Nice and, and see what you can do <laughs> because I think that course suits you. I'm, I'm really excited. I can't wait to chat to you before before that race and see how your training's been going. And, yeah, um, I'm excited for that. It's a flat run course too. I think it's a run course that you could run around 2.30 if you wanted. I know you don't have the 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 Primax 2, mate, so that probably cuts about eight minutes off your run. But that aside, <laughs> I, I do think it's a course Many that suits months. you. Yeah. <laughs> Minimum. <laughs> uh, all right, mate. Thanks heaps for chatting. Um, enjoy the Always rest of the. Always a pleasure. Yeah, yeah. Enjoy the rest of the tiny little break you've you've got before you really get stuck back into things, and we'll, we'll chat soon. Chat soon, and hopefully again. Yeah. Uh, see you in Saint Moritz. I'll see you in Saint Moritz <laughs> about five or six weeks. All right. See you, mate. Nice. See ya. Bye. Okay, so it's July, and we've had a lot of racing, and we've done a lot of training this year, and. You've probably heard me say it a hundred times, but if you still haven't got yourself some form goggles, then just trust me, stop and try them. They've become my favorite piece of daily training equipment I've added this year. Um, I used to dread swimming. Like I literally used to dread it. And now I find myself more often than not looking forward to it. And I, I think that's because they've made my swimming so much funner. And, and maybe the main thing is like more purposeful. And because of that happening like day in, day out, and I've established that consistency, I feel really good in the water and I look forward to it because I feel good. And I really do put a lot of that down to me being, um, you know, like finishing work and being excited to go to the pool and try my goggles. And and then once I've done that, being excited to do my sessions with them because they really do make sessions a lot easier to do in the pool rather than like dreading how hard they're going to be and how crappy you're going to feel. I know that's what would happen to me. Um, the live data you get in front of your eyes is just – it's something you've got to try for yourself because it's sort of hard to describe. But yeah, once once you try it, you won't ever go back to your old goggles. And I've been messaged by so many people who have tried them from hearing this and it's all been overwhelmingly positive and saying the same things I say and like being like, I was a bit skeptical, but you know, you're right. They, they actually are great. Like I've been told that, God, countless times about how, how someone didn't really believe me, but then tried it and they're like, oh, I'll, I'll never go back. Same as what you say. So yeah, if if you're if you're like if you're like me and you never used to wear them and you sort of don't look at swimming as the same as you look at your bike where you're pretty willing to spend however much money it is to optimize things that that's how I was or you know willing to spend 300 bucks on a new pair of shoes every every month or two again like me but don't see swimming like that I reckon bang for buck your form goggles are going to make more difference than most things you can do over on the other two so yeah, trust me. I would definitely add it to your add it to your daily training equipment if you haven't already. Um, use the discount code HTT15 for 15% off your form goggles if you do decide to buy some.